you. Good morning. Well, I intend to bless you this morning. And my first blessing is that it's 10 past 11 and I've only prepared a half hour message. (laughs) How good is that? Um, Before we start, there's a, a lot of people in this church work hard at leading prayer. And we pray on Zoom. I don't pray on Zoom every morning, but there's a meeting every morning at half seven till eight. And you're really welcome to join that. And then we pray at half past nine till ten in the prayer room here. And again, you're welcome to join that. A little bit of a plug. Sometimes things just slip past us and we don't often see them. It's a great privilege to um, share this series with Steve. It is, and I always, um, you may not believe this, but I always tremble a bit when I step up here, you know, because <laughs> it matters to me, it matters to the Lord, and I just, I do want to bless you this morning. It's a, it's going to be a tough subject at first, this, I'll warn you, but just bear with me. Let's just read, shall we, from um, John's Gospel. And chapter 11, either open your Bibles or switch them on, if you will. It's always good to bring your Bible. And read with me as we look from John's Gospel and um, verses 17 to 44. And you you well know um, this account, people who are Christians. If you're not a Christian here and this is new to you, then we have a situation where we have Jesus. And this, was a, this is an eyewitness account, <clears throat> an eyewitness account, where this great friend of Jesus was dying and his sister sent for him and he didn't come. And then the man dies. And then we see what happens next. But that was a real situation, you know, and I'm conscious that twice in this passage, there's so much here I could pick out. But twice in this passage, the first sister said to Jesus, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? The first sister said to Jesus, if only you'd been here. And then the second sister came along and hadn't heard her conversation and said to Jesus, if only you'd been here. And one of the little things in this passage is that we all have these If only moments. If only this. Do you have those? If only that. You know. And um, as we read this, I want to speak hope to you because even in those if only moments where you feel a death has occurred, Jesus can speak life. So let's just read it. Um, John 11 17 to 44, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And I prepared in one Bible and brought another one, so I can't find it. (laughs) Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days days and Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off 
And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So we've got a situation that's really real here. This, this pair of sisters has watched their brother die in the morning. And they're ripped apart. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. That was the custom to mourn. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let me ask you. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was in the place where Martha had left him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. That when Mary came to see where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And that verse there, deeply moved in spirit, it's, in the original language, it's like, it was like a horse that was snorting. He was moved from his guts. Death moves Jesus. Distress moves Jesus. Weeping moves Jesus. And your distress and your weeping and your suffering moves Jesus. And he said... Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. And that means that he literally, the language is, he literally broke down. Jesus just broke down. He just wept. He, he was so um, distressed at their distress. He was so grieved and angry of what death does and what sin has caused. It's an awful lot in that verse. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? And Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha of the dead man said, Lord, but by this time, There'll be an odour, for he's been dead four days. And I love what the, the original King James Version says there. 
it says, behold, he stinketh. Because we had a Mediterranean climate and a man had been dead four days. You can imagine, can't you? And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted his eyes unto the Father and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, untie him and let him go. What a thing. Can you imagine being stood there? I can't tell you that this isn't just a story. This is an eyewitness account written by the Apostle John who was there. Can you imagine that? You'd be staggered, wouldn't you? You'd talk about that for weeks and all your life. Lazarus came out. Okay. So, here's the thing. What do you think? Is there something after death? What do you think? Is there something more for us beyond this life? Or is that it? Gone. I saw um, a debate, it was an hour's debate, uh, actually it was on YouTube, and um, came onto my screen and I thought, I'll watch that. Didn't see it all, but it was, have you heard of an actor called Bill Nye? Bill Nye, yeah. And there was him and there was three other people who were quite sort of famous public figures. And they were debating for an hour this question, is there something beyond death? And... Um, some of them said categorically, no. Some of them said, there could be. But in the end, they couldn't really agree on what they thought. And they couldn't really decide on why they thought what they thought. And so they said, well, we don't know. But, but we'd like to think that there is something. And I kind of felt sad when I heard that because they sounded like people without any hope. And I wonder where you sit today as you listen to this. Where do you stand on that? Is there something after death? You see, I suspect that most people, your family, your friends, those you work with, sit in the same camp as Bill Nye and his three of the debaters. They don't really believe in a God. They think that's it when you die, there's nothing after death. But they would like to think there was something. So let me ask you again, do you have a hope beyond this life? Is there any evidence that there is something beyond this life? How do you speak to people that you work with, your family, your friends, about when they ask you about your faith and, 
the future? What, what do you say? How do you address that question? Everyone knows that everything that we have, everything that you have, will ultimately come to an end. Ultimately, you will die. Fact. Fact. 100%. One out of one people die. So how do you face your death? And how do you address those around you that are looking for some kind of hope? I've stopped looking in the mirror because every time I look in the mirror, I'm reminded that I'm walking towards my death. You know, when I see my wedding photograph, I've got a picture on, um, somebody sent it to me actually, Sue Sweeney sent it to me, of Wendy and I when we were about 26 and we were sat in the grass together um, with family members, Greg and Ruth and Mark and Sue Sweeney, down in Hampshire, lovely hot summer, and I got brown hair, you know, and, and Wendy looked like a glamour model. <laughs> And I just was just sat there in this grass. And I, when I look at it on my screen, I think, wow, Glenn, look in the mirror. I'm going to start avoiding mirrors. Because everything I look at in the mirror reminds me that, you know, I'm, I'm walking towards a certain thing. So what happens is that most people don't think about it. We don't think about death. We don't think about time running out. You know, we have this thing, carpe diem, seize the day, live for today, eat, drink, and be merry, because, well, let's not think about tomorrow, eh? But what might happen to us? Let's not think about that. I said to you, I wanted to encourage you when I stood up here, and I can hear you saying now, Come on, Glenn, you know, we've got a war in Ukraine. We've got a crisis at home with the fuel bills. We've got, you know, we've got increasing costs on the road. Um, and here you are talking about death. That is really encouraging. But there are two things. Everyone, or the vast majority of people, long for something more. Something more in this life or fulfillment, satisfaction, and something beyond this life. If you're honest, you long for that. The life that we have doesn't truly satisfy. We know there's something more. And as we look at and face death, we, you know, we, we have this imagination that th there's got to be something more than this. So everyone longs for something more, but why do we long for something more? Why is that? And the second thing is, why is it, no matter how good this world is, it doesn't completely satisfy us? So question one, question one. Why do we long for more than this life? Is that true of you? Do you long for something more? Do you hope for something more beyond death? Why is that? A man called C.S. Lewis said this, if I find in myself longings that this world cannot meet, it probably means that I was made for another world. And the reason that you have cravings 
that this world can't satisfy. And the reason that you have a desire for something more after this life is because you were made for another world. And Jesus comes to speak into that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Only he can bring a life that satisfies those cravings that your soul wants. Your soul is very deep. This world can't satisfy it. It needs something more. C.S. Lewis also said, I love this. He also said that heaven is that remote music that we were born remembering. Isn't that fabulous? Heaven is that remote music that you were born remembering. That's why we know in our heart there's something beyond this world because the music of heaven plays all the time right in the background. There is life beyond this life. There is. Look, if you're hungry, there's no guarantee that you're going to be fed. But it does indicate that there's evidence that food exists. And your hunger for something more in this life is indicative and in you that something beyond this life exists. You just need to find it. The Bible says as well that God has placed eternity into the heart of man. This, this eternal sense of destiny placed right in the base of your soul that draws you forward. And you can't quieten it. You can't dispel it. And you can't ignore it. And it becomes more and more real as death trudges towards us with its slow and relentless pace. I told you I'd encourage you, didn't I? So, your worldview could be, thanks Glenn, but that's it. After death, there's nothing. It's just, you know, the end. Well, is that all, is that all, all there is for you? Is that your worldview? To quote Lazarus, just stink and worms? Is that what you become? Do you just become fertilizer? I'm being graphic. Because that, if you say that's it, that's, exa that's exactly what you are believing. But I think you are born for more than that. And I believe the Bible indicates that. If that's your view, that's, you're entitled to that. But it also means that all you've worked for, all that you've done through your life, becomes meaningless. It didn't matter in the end. Whether you were good or you were bad. Whether you were, um, you know, Mother Teresa or Hitler. Finished. Doesn't matter. No consequence. Everyone loves to believe there's something more. The problem is, how can we know? How can we know? Part of the debate I saw on YouTube, how can we know? Where's the evidence? And if we find evidence, what can we do about it? Well, this claim of Jesus here, where he said to the sisters, 
Um, I am the resurrection and the life. If you think about that, that was a unique claim. Can you think of any, and if you can, please tell me, I'm not being clever, I'd like to know, any world leader, political leader, any world religious leader, Muhammad, Buddha, anybody, who's ever made a claim that said, life exists in me. If you want life, come to me. Because I am the resurrection. I'll resurrect you in this life and in the next, and I'll give you life. There's only one person ever made that claim, and his name is Jesus. And it wasn't his only claim. It was a unique claim, but it wasn't his only claim. He said this again and again and again. And if you want to take time to read through John's Gospel, it's a great Gospel to read. If you haven't ever read the Bible, look at John's Gospel in the New Testament. Just take time to read it through. Not all at once, just take time over a few days or a week to read it through. And you'll find that again and again and again, uh, John says that in him was life. One of the disciples. Jesus said, whoever clings to me has eternal life. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said again, truly, 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 I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. It's a claim that he made again and again and again. This unique, almost arrogant statement. Look at me. Come to me. He didn't point to anybody else and say, if you want life, go over there and do that religion. He pointed to himself and said, come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I've come that they might have life. And when he said, I've come that they might have life, what he means is, you know, you have sort of skimmed milk, and I have that these days. I'm trying to prolong my life, basically. Um, I'm not dive hard to tell you. <laughs> Skim milk. Have you, ever had, have you ever had the real sort of, you know, the... Um, Channel Island's gold top milk. <laughs> you have skimmed on your cornflakes and you put that on your cornflakes. And the difference, I can tell you, is amazing. Jesus was saying that. He was saying, look, what you've got is skim milk. <laughs> I give you gold top. <laughs> in, in this life, life starts here with Christ now. Your inner craving satisfied now. New life starts today. But more than that, beyond this life. So he made these claims, these unique claims about being life. Is it true? Is that true? When Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he made all the claims, all kinds of people make claims, but is, was that true? Was that true? Can he back it up? Because if he can, if Christ is the life giver, that is the life changer that's the game changer here and now i think that the raising of lazarus was an it's like an advert 
you know, you see adverts on TV. I think this was like an advert because this raising of Lazarus was only two weeks or so before he was crucified. And, and then he rose from the grave. He claimed his own life back. So I think it was like an advert. He was advertising what he was going to do only in a few, few, few days' time, really. But it wasn't like any advert that you've ever seen before. Oh, no. You've seen the adverts for hair loss, haven't you, on TV? Yeah. By this, you know, they give you a spiel about a hair loss thing. And then, have you ever seen somebody bring somebody bald on the set and put the stuff on and then suddenly, pow, golden locks appear? <laughs> Never seen that, have you? Really, no. <laughs> you know? Um, but this was an advert that he could back up. It was an advert. It was a demo. Jesus gave a demo. He said, I'm the resurrection, the life. Let me show you how this runs. Lazarus, come out. And in that moment, Jesus demonstrates that he owns life and he owns death. Both life and death exist inside of Christ. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. That if you're in Christ, if Christ is your Lord and Saviour, you have life. Not only here, but eternal hope. Eternal life. But conversely and logically, if you don't follow Christ, then your hope is eternal death. That's graphic, but that's true. Because he owns life and he owns death. Life exists inside of him and outside of him, logically, is death. But the amazing thing is that with this advert of raising Lazarus, Jesus demonstrates that he ends death. He can walk into your death and shout, come forth. If we befriend him, you know, he came for his friend. Lazarus was his friend. Jesus comes for his friends. It's good to be a friend of Jesus. Who in the world would not want eternal life? Life here that satisfies and life beyond this life. There's something more in this that I want to bring to you. And it's this. So the scene's set. We've got a weeping Martha. She sends for her sister. We've got Mary comes. Mary and Martha weeping. The Jews weeping. Tomb sealed. Four days. Dead man. Jesus. Disciples. And then he says to Mary and Martha, he says, and to the people around, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you'll never die. And if you believe in me and you die, you'll live forever. And then Martha says, she makes a response of faith. She says, Lord, I know that, 
that my brother will rise again at the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And what he does is this. What he does is this. In calling Lazarus forth, he brings the future into the present. Do you see that? She's anticipating a future event, the resurrection of her brother. And he brings that into a present reality. He calls the future into the present and brings her brother back alive. That's incredible. That's incredible. But listen to this. When you come to Christ, he can bring your future into your present. Let me ask you this. Where is the death in your life at the moment? Have you suffered grief? Have you suffered disappointment? A lost opportunity? A mistake? Do you feel weary? Do you feel fearful? Do you feel anxiety? What about any financial struggles? Death of finances. Moment is topical, isn't it? Jesus can bring your future into the present. What you see is a future aspiration. I just hope I can get these bills paid. I just hope that I can get through this time of fear or distress or anxiety or grief. Jesus is the only person who can bring life into that situation. He's the only person that can massage the balm of healing into grief. There's a scripture that says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Apostle Paul said that. And I wonder if Mary and Martha ever read that. <laughs> because in John 11, he does far more exceedingly and abundantly. It did something beyond their wildest dreams. And Christ can do that with you. He can bring things into your present that can bring life into a death situation. Yeah, you say, well, yeah, okay, Glenn, you know, but maybe not me. Maybe not me, you know. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and, but he doesn't know me. doesn't know me, um, you know. Well, the truth is this, that Wendy read this, and she was uncertain about it. Um, but I said, we all carry the stink of death about us, don't we? We all stink a bit of death. What do I mean by that? Not only do we carry the reminders of death in the mirror, and I look in it, but our failures pull us down, don't they? They dog us. Our disappointments, you know, our sins... We stumble in this world, don't we? And we fail. And failure brings consequences. Consequences that we find hard to handle. We fail again and again. And we find ourselves in places that we didn't intend to be. 
that distress us and cause us to have anxiety issues. And sometimes the things that we fail at, things we do, bring hideous consequences. And in that sense, we stink of death, you know, failure. It seems to permeate our lives. Well, let me tell you this, that Jesus welcomes stinky people. I believe probably embrace Lazarus coming out of the tomb. So if you feel that you're in a stinky place at the moment, a place of death, a place where you just need life, then Jesus says, I am the life. Open the door to Christ and let him in. Jesus Christ wants you to encounter real life. He wants you to hear his voice and encounter him. Jesus doesn't just bring life, he is life. And I'll close with this. Note this, that Jesus came for his friend, said he loved Lazarus. He came for someone who'd already encountered him and who knew him. What about you? Do you want to take a risk that that's all there is when you die? Why not open your heart and life to Christ and let him bring fullness of life in now? Satisfies those inner longings of your soul, those cravings that you try and fill with all kinds of things. Why not let him fill you with your peace and give you a real hope of eternal life? Open your heart today. Feel his presence in you today, now in this service. I'm going to sing in a minute. Because he only calls out of the grave those he knows. Let's just bow our heads, shall we? John, are you around? I'm going to sing that song in a minute. But I want us to, to bow a second, if we will. Just quiet our hearts before the Lord. I should you to close your eyes and think about what you've heard. What have you heard today? Where is the death in your situation? Where do you need Christ to bring the future into the present? What about Jesus offering you life? Abundant life here. And I hope beyond the grave. Outside of him is only death. Let's take a minute just quietly to, maybe you've never spoken to God before, but in your heart, even now, just say, Lord, I want that life. Come into my heart. Come to my, step into my world. Call me out of the grave I'm in. Resurrect me. Give me your peace. Give me your friendship. Lord, I want you.
you want to make a response to that as we close the service, you can either come and see me or Steve or somebody you trust or even come to the front for prayer if you wish to. I'm going to invite you on the team to lead us in worship. <laughs>